All right, let's take our Bibles, get right to it. Matthew chapter number five, we'll continue or get back into our series in Matthew chapter number five. We uh, took time last week to honor all the moms and a Mother's Day message. So we'll get back now into our series in the book of Matthew and chapter number five. So Matthew five. Let's read the first couple verses, but then we're going to drop down to verse number 31. That'll be our text just to help us set the uh, context here a little bit. The multitudes had been following uh, Jesus. And so he takes time away from the multitudes to instruct his disciples with the intent that what he would put in them that they could take to the multitudes. All right, so that is the, uh, the plan. So verse number one says, Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. And so then would begin the sermon. The very first um, words of the message were, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that know that they are utterly dependent on God and that they are not self-reliant. So that is the basis of the message. So let's go ahead now and turn to verse number uh, 31 is our text. We'll start there. We're going to do a little bit of review this morning. Back to verse uh, 21 and following. You'll see a repeated phrase throughout this section, it was said of them of old time. It hath been said in verse number 31. And then you'll see this phrase repeated, but I say unto you, okay, you're going to see that six times, six times. It's going to, Jesus is going to say that it hath been said, but I say, all right, so let's read verse 31 now. It hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. I admit these are not easy verses. See why we didn't deal with it on Mother's Day? So, um, but it's in the word. And, and, you know, um, before we read, I, I thought about it this way. There's, there's no reason for us to shy away or shirk or skirt societal issues when we have the authority of Scripture. And we can just say what Jesus said you know, and explain it and apply it. <clears throat> I don't want to be insensitive today. I know there are people here who have been through a divorce and maybe remarriage and, and all those, those, uh, those things. And, and I'm glad I can say to you, like Brother Warren saying to you, God loves you. And, and, and your identity is, is not wrapped up in your marital status. Your identity is wrapped up in who you are in Christ. So, all right. Uh, now, we're going to connect these two. Otherwise, this series through Matthews would be about eight years long if we don't keep gaining some ground here. And I, and I think there's actually a natural connection between what precedes the, Jesus' words on divorce. So I, I just kind of threw you right into it. And there we were reading about divorce all of a sudden. But there's a context even to that that we'll come to as we get into it in verse 27 through 30. 
But then this context also proceeds, and, and these are real societal issues that we are still dealing with today. And we're going to reserve the last two for God willing the next time that we're in Matthew when he talks about um, justice. Boy, isn't that an issue of our day and time? And uh, race or racism or hate, that's, a, that's an issue of our day and time. And, and I'm glad to know that Jesus addressed it and gave us help in it. And we're not without guidance. Okay. All right. Now, verse 33. Again, ye heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, notice this, for it is the city of the great king. Evidently, we ought to care about Jerusalem and what's going on in Jerusalem and pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's a good time to do so at this hour. It is the city of the great king, but he says, don't swear by Jerusalem, neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. I'm here to say you can't even make hair. <laughs> Guarantee you that. Hmm. All right, verse 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. All right, now that sounds weird, doesn't it? But he's just basically saying, just mean what you say. Let your yea be yea, your nay be nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Well, how, how serious are we supposed to be about this? How far are we supposed to take all this? Look at verse 48 just real quick. Be ye therefore, what does it say? Perfect. Oh, good night. Can't do that. I'm out. Right? Well, what other goal do you think God would have for you? Uh, be close. Just get as close as you can. That's not his goal. Now, don't, don't lose heart and think, well, no need for me to be here today. I can't be perfect. No, join the crowd. I mean, we're all in this together. But his goal for us is that we'd be just like his son. He loves his son so much, and he's so pleased with his son that he wants everybody to be just like him, the Lord Jesus Christ. You will say, I can't be. Well, he can help you to be more like him and more like him and more like him. It's a daily process. But the goal is that we would be perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. How many say, I've got a long way to go? Mm, yes. So today, I, I've just kept the title, what, hath been, what Has Been Said versus What Is Written. What Has Been Said versus What Is Written, part two. That's today's part two. Doing what you said because of what God said. Doing what you said because of what God said. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing for the authority of scripture and comments along the way as well. Appreciate that. Probably 90% of the message today is going to deal with marriage and, and, and such as you might imagine. I mean, not that I'm not going to deal with verses uh, 33 through 37 and I'll try to show a connection between the two, but 
But uh, I, I believe certainly we all would agree that our society today needs some biblical instruction on what it means to have a biblical marriage. A little girl had just heard of the story of Snow White for the very first time. She loved the story and retold it to her mom. She told how that Prince Charming came on a beautiful white horse and kissed Snow White and she woke up. And then she said, do you know what happened then? The little girl said, do you know what happened then? The mom said, yes, they lived happily ever after. She said, no, with a frown, they got married. <laughs> Evidently, she didn't think you could be married and live happily ever after. <laughs> right. Now, uh, God's plan is that we would live as a married couple happily throughout your married life. Um, I want to thank God today. We have so many examples in our church family of some who have been married, you know, for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. We've had some married 70 years. You should receive a medal of honor and distinction. Um, seriously, I, I thank God for those godly examples. I think every one of them certainly would admit there are many challenges in marriage. I mean, you are taking Brother Farinella's over here uh, today. Brother Matt Farinella and his wife Alyssa is here, and he pastors Foundation Baptist Church up in Sammamish, uh, Washington. Did a wonderful job yesterday performing the wedding uh, for the Raspberry's daughter, Becky, and Yanar Creekmore. It was a beautiful thing, and he did a great job. I get so nervous doing weddings, and he was so smooth and... I was so envious. How do you do that? Anyways, bottom line is whether you mess it up or you do it smooth, they're married in the end. That's, that's the goal, all right? But, uh, but he said, you know, we're, we're taking, and I forget exactly how he worded it, but the, the essential part of it, we're taking two imperfect people and putting them in the same house and wanting them to have a godly home and marriage. Well, hey, every one of us is broken. We're all broken. We're all sinners, which means this, we're selfish and proud. Sometimes we're proud of it. How, pray tell, can a couple be married for 50 years to the same person? Monogamous, right? Somebody said monotonous. No. <laughs> same person and be happy I, I believe it was um, Billy Graham who said that we are happily incompatible. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> true in marriage oftentimes. I mean, you're so different, right? And, and how does this work? How does this happen? Well, obviously, it requires the help of the Holy Spirit of God to help us to have the marriage that He desires, that you take two very different people, two very broken people, two very imperfect people, and you put them in one home, and there's all these ideas floating around out there about what marriage is and what divorce is and what the grounds are. I mean, all kinds of people weighing in on this. Are you following me? So many talk shows about it, Dr. Phil and Dr. So-and-so, and, and this woman says this, and that one says that, and somebody at work says this, and then, you know, you see this on the internet. I'm telling you, there's all kinds of marriage advice out there. 
just like there was in Jesus' day. But I believe you would agree, we're so messed up, we need God's help right here. Now, I, uh, I, I want to say here that I realize there, there are people that have been through divorce or your parents have been through divorce uh, or you have, have been through um, and maybe you're remarried now. I, I, I just want to first of all say to you, hey, um, that doesn't mean God, number one, doesn't love you or that, or that he can't use you. There have been people that have been used here that have served in various capacities that have been through exactly what you've been through. And, and, and I, I'm grateful to God that, that he can help you through that. And I, I know of some even here that have been through a divorce. It was certainly not their choice, not their desire. And, and so uh, my heart goes out to them. And I, but I, I don't think today, and this is not the first time we've dealt with this before. I don't think today though, that any of those that have been through a divorce and a remarriage or, or anything like that would say, preacher, please don't preach on that. Oh, I think actually they might be some of the very first ones that would say, Brother Gaddis, listen, don't, don't hold back. Don't tiptoe around this. Don't say anything less than what Jesus said. Just go ahead and say it. And if we have a problem with it, then it's our problem. It's not God's problem. All right. How about we all just agree to that? And this will be a much more pleasant sermon. <laughs> One man said, there's no unhappiness so heartbreaking as the unhappiness of an unhappy marriage. And almost no tragedy so great as the degeneration of what God meant for love and fulfillment in a non-relationship of bitterness, discord, and despair. How many of you would agree with that? But what Jesus teaches here is good because Jesus is always good and everything he says is good. So we know it'll help us if we'll just take it as it is. And, and so he's helping his disciples here who they themselves would, would no doubt. I mean, we're talking about Peter who every now and then put his foot in his mouth and he was married. He had a mother-in-law. So that tells us he was married. I mean, just add that together. And I would imagine that Peter, who was sometimes, you know, speaking before he thought, he probably had issues with it at home, not just in life. Um, he would need help in his own marriage. And so would all the other apostles and, and disciples. So Jesus knew they needed the teaching, but he also knew this. They would be reaching people that were imperfect, that needed the teaching of what a godly marriage would look like. And so I think for that reason, he's helping them to understand. Now, now what we cannot dismiss here, even though we just kind of jumped into verse 31, what we cannot dismiss here is all that Jesus has already said prior to this, leading up to it by way of what he said in the Beatitudes. Because if you take the Beatitude life, the Christian life as it's intended to be lived, one where there is dependence on God, where there is, uh, where there is meekness and there's a hunger and a thirst after righteousness, and where there is forgiveness and where there is peacemaking, I'm telling you, what Jesus said there is what will make marriage work. I've never counseled with someone who said, I just couldn't get along with my husband because he was always trying to make peace. He was always just trying to see things my way and just being so loving and caring and unselfish and sacrificial and, and that rascal and... <laughs> 
And he was always so humble and meek. And anytime I brought something up, he would just take it just so nicely. And no, 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 that's not how it goes. It's, it goes quite the opposite. He never hears what I have to say. He's the only one he thinks is in the world. And, and, and he thinks he's ever, always right. And I'm always wrong. And I mean, all, I, mean, rawr, I mean, all that. I mean, that's just... Sorry, just had a little moment there, but I'm just saying that that's usually how it is. What's happened is, is that even as Christians, because listen, we are not immune. We are not immune from making a mess of what God has designed by way of marriage. If we get away from the beatitude life, then we should not be surprised that we end up in verse 31 and 32. So who are you trying to help today? Everybody. I'd like to help those that are not married. I'd like to help those that are single to, to at least, at least do this. Don't get mesmerized by what you see on the outside to the neglect of what's on the inside. Because it's better to wish that you were married than to wish that you were not married. Are we all right? I'd like to help right there. But then also I'd like to help everybody here that is married, stay married. Stay married. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't, I don't know. I do know this. I know that things can be one way at church, but a different way in the car. All right. Now, I'd be naive not to think that that's not the case here every, every now and then. You'd be naive to think it's not that case even in your pastor's home. I'm not giving you details, but I'm just simply saying that, hey, listen, we are imperfect people. And we struggle with things and, and have to ask God for forgiveness and then ask Angie for forgiveness. And she has to ask God for forgiveness, ask me for forgiveness. But that's how you make it in marriage. So I'm not, I'm not saying this to you because we somehow have arrived at this plateau. Everybody, everybody that's here would know that would be ludicrous to say this. But I do know verse 48 is still the goal that we want to be what is, what is right in marriage and in relationships and, and, in, and in telling the truth and, and, and being, living up to your word and all those things. Listen, that is so very vital to our homes because, because I know this Satan would love to destroy every home that is represented here today. Because our homes are the building blocks of our society. And if he can destroy the building blocks of our society, then not naturally then, he has destroyed our society as it is. And, and broken marriages may not make the evening news, but that is really what is bringing our nation down. And so I want to encourage everybody that's married here, even if you're having a hard time, and maybe nobody else knows that you're having a hard time, then here's what I, here's what I hope and pray would happen as a result of this message today, that you'd walk out of these doors and you'd go back home and maybe it'd be quiet for a little while, but hopefully it'd be this way, that you'd go out of here saying, you know, there's hope. There's hope, there's hope right here. And I want to say that if, if you are in your second marriage or third or whatever it is, hey, listen, you cannot change the past. You cannot, you cannot change the past, but here's what you can change, where you are today and what you're going to do into the future. And I'm going to encourage you to remain faithful to your spouse, remain faithful. And, and I believe God can bless you and you can have a happy married life regardless of what's in the past because of who God is and his plan will still work for you. What's going on in this text? It hath been said, but I say. It hath been said, but I say. Six times you're going to notice that. It hath been said, but I say. Well, obviously what Jesus is not doing, he's not saying, I know what the Old Testament says, but here's what I say. No, 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 wait a minute. That's taking it wrong. Okay. 
Jesus, who gave the Old Testament, is not going to contradict the Old Testament. So he's not speaking against the law. Here's what he was dealing with. There were those in their society, just like there are in our society, that are giving their own spin on the Old Testament. And he's taking issue with the oral traditions. It hath been said, we, we noticed last time, please allow me just to do a little bit of review because it's really going to help as we get into the meat of the message, that it hath been said is different than the word it is written. Back in chapter 4, it talks about it has been, it is written. Jesus used that against Satan when he was being tempted. It is written, it is written, it is written. But here it is a different verb that is saying it hath been said. So there was these pundits then, or these specialists, these lawyers, these scribes, these Pharisees, these rabbis, these leading religious leaders that had, had their, uh, had their uh, ability to, to talk to people and say, here is what the scripture says, here's what I say, and they would give their take on it. The issue was not that they were addressing the issues. The issue is that they were giving their own personal opinion on the issues rather than saying, thus saith the Lord. Now, here's what they were doing. They were twisting the text to their own advantage. There were parts they'd leave out. There were parts that they would misinterpret. Here's what they did. They limited what was sinful and they extended what was permissible. Well, if you get to make the rules, you can win the game. We had a fierce debate a week ago as Trevor, Trent, and I were playing sorry. And we had to look up online a particular rule about now that space that has the arrow when you come into the home, is that counted as a space or is it just like you slide into home? <laughs> well, what do we have to do? Well, you can't go by what everybody says. You've got to go by what is written. By the way, it is a space. <laughs> hey, look, you can't cut out what you don't like in God's word. You can't pick and choose. This is not a buffet like you can have that and not that and have that and not that. No, 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 no. We got it. This is all the word of God. Watch this. We cannot condone what God condemns. We cannot. We cannot. Not and be true. We cannot be selective in our application. Well, that applies to them, but it doesn't apply to me. No, friend, listen. Everything here applies just as much to you as it does to me and to everybody else. But here's what has happened. What happened in their time, what has happened in our time, and then we'll move on, okay? What has happened in our time is not just a misinterpretation or even a rewriting of the Bible to kind of suit everybody that's a little bit easier uh, to understand, a little bit easier to, for me to obey, you know, just kind of bring the bar down. But also we have this, we have a decline in Bible knowledge. Less content in sermons. Sermons are... Average today, probably 20 minutes. Okay, 20 minutes is an introduction to a sermon here, okay? Just understand that, all right? Services are being canceled. No more Sunday night. 
I would, I would hate to miss our Sunday night service. I'm so fired up about preaching 1 Samuel chapter 2 tonight. I can't, can't hardly wait about it. I hope it'll be a help and a blessing. Can you imagine? Uh, let's just not have Sunday night service because we can have more family time. I guarantee you they're not having family time. They're having time to themselves. And then the music of the day is much more watered down and not much theological content. Listen, friend, what we sang a moment ago, about one day we, read, we were singing about the gospel and it's got theological content, but here's what's happened. The decline in Bible knowledge has meant and led to this naturally an increase in man's opinion. And so we should not be surprised with our society and their ideas about what is murder and what is not murder infidelity, divorce, oaths, justice, racism, and et cetera, et cetera, we should not be surprised to see the fruit of what biblical illiteracy will do. They applied murder to the act alone. Jesus said, you better deal with the heart because that's where it starts. They were angry without a, not, not that they were angry without a cause, like they didn't have one, they just didn't have a righteous one. There's a difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. Righteous anger is when I'm angry about something that angers God. Sinful anger is when I'm angry because it angers me. You got it? And Jesus says, you got to deal with the heart. It has been said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't take another person's uh, wife. But here's what they did. I'm leading up to where we're going to be here today. Um, don't take another person's wife. In fact, one man said it very well. He said it this way. They gave a conveniently narrow definition of sexual sin and a conveniently broad definition of sexual purity. Just don't take another person's wife, but if she's not another person's wife, it's okay. Or if you look upon somebody with lust, it's okay. Just don't touch. In our day and time, it kind of goes this way. Boys are going to be boys. Girls are going to be girls. Cohabitation's okay. You got to see if you like each other or not. That's a different day and time today. Um, Jesus said it this way. If you look upon a, per a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, I didn't really get to deal with all these when we came through them, the first message. So I, I think because of our culture, it'd probably help us if we dealt a little bit more with it right here. Anybody in a hurry? Good. Um, he says this to men, not that women do, do not struggle with lust, but, but it is more of a man thing. And men, I, I want to say to you, birds may fly over your head, but you don't have to let them build a nest in your hair. <laughs> and it helps when you got hair like this. <laughs> Not much to build a nest in here, friend. I'm guaranteeing that. You, do you understand the, the saying? I don't remember where that's even from. You, hey, we can't control how people dress or what billboards are wear, but you can determine what you're going to think about. And, and what we're leading up to is biblical marriage and God's design. I thought about it. I thought about it too late. I should have just kept, uh, Brother Raspberry, the, the, the nice uh, arch that was here, you know, for the wedding. And just had, here's what biblical marriage is. And just have it right here in this realm. Because watch this. Pornography and lust is outside. 
and a, a wife doesn't appreciate it when a man is looking at another woman and a, and a man doesn't appreciate it when a wife is, is thinking about another man. Are you following me here? I realize this is kind of straight preaching, but I think it needs to happen in our day and time. And so pornography is against God's will. Lusting is against God's will. And so you, you see where he's going with it when he says, you know, that, that you're supposed to stay married. Well, it's got to start somewhere. And it may have, it may have started just with that lustful thought. That lustful, longing look. Verse 31 just didn't come out of nowhere. No, there was something leading up to it. And Jesus says, if your eye offends you, then pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. He's not speaking literally, but he's saying this. Listen, sexual sin is so devastating to a society that you must take radical measures to make sure that you are not participating in sexual sin. And thus some here today maybe need to take some radical measures to cancel some subscriptions, to cancel internet. Good night, that's radical. To cancel or to delete certain apps. To block certain people. To unfriend certain people. Boy, this is, this is going great. But it's needful, isn't it? Because you can see how Satan tries to get in. And, and so there's things that you need to do. And, and if your hand is, is leading you down the wrong path because you're texting the wrong thing or you're using it to go to the wrong website or you're using it to call the wrong number. Hey, listen, my friend, you better stop right there. And ladies, if I could just take a moment, and men as well, to say this. If it is wrong for men to look with lust, then it is wrong for women to dress in such a way that would tempt them to do so. It's one thing to make, one man said this, it is one thing to make yourself attractive. It's another thing to make yourself seductive. And you know the difference, and so do we. So you and men alike. Now, modesty is not just for women. It's for men as well, but, but we need to apply the principle of purity to dress and make sure that you're covering everything and it's not too tight and, and not too revealing. I'm just saying to you what I think Jesus would apply in our day and time that, listen, we're living in such a sexually charged culture, which is really of all time, but certainly in our day and time. And so don't be part of the problem, be part of the solution. You say, well, that's a man's problem. He shouldn't be like that. Okay, thank you. But that's like saying you're like playing on I-40 out in the middle of the road saying those trucks shouldn't drive so fast. Hello. Now that illustration just came to me and probably needs a little bit of work, but I think you get the point. In other words, if you're not careful, uh, ma'am, you're just like the Pharisees who was determining the extent of their obedience. And it's not up to you to determine the extent of your obedience. God said to cover the nakedness. And in the Old Testament, it talks about even the thigh being nakedness. And so it ought to be covered. Amen. You say, is there biblical grounds for that? Biblical grounds for that. Men and women alike. Yeah. I realize this is not typical Sunday morning preaching, but it's just right here where we are. Yep. Yes, it is. So we should not be surprised then to hear that our Savior addresses the matter of divorce, given where things are. It has been said, verse number 31, it has, you, it has been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. 
At least give that common courtesy. You see, because in Greek times, I mean, they, they, I read of one Greek writer who said he knew of this one woman that had been divorced 10 times because it was so easy to divorce. I mean, literally, it could just be said, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And there was no writing of divorcement. It was just, I divorce you, you're out of here. The word divorce means released out of the house. They were abused. It was sad. Women are to be protected, loved, and cherished not thrown out, cared for. Ladies today, please uh, don't listen to the women's lib movement and the feminism of the day and time that would tell you things like God is so bigoted. God is so uh, a male chauvinist. Hey, listen, if you read the New Testament and the Old Testament alike, you'll see he actually is protecting your value and he elevates your status. And he, he, is, uh, he is elevating womanhood, not degrading. And because there, there's that mentality that's out there. Well, if, if you're a wife and you're submissive, then he's just going to march all over you and you're just can be a doormat. No, not according to what Jesus said. And as he tenderly loves the church, hey, listen, do you think the one who designed this would design it in such a way that would be degrading to you? I tell you nay. <laughs> Use some biblical terminology. There are no way. No, it's only going to enhance your life. But and so back in Deuteronomy, that's what they were quoting and they were giving their spin on it. If you're going to divorce and at least have a writing in divorce and in, 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 have it in writing. But even chapter 24 of Deuteronomy is not dealing with the grounds of divorce. It's dealing with this. Here's how you ought to treat your wife if you do divorce. Verses one through four is dealing with that and don't, don't uh, be abusive to them and, and how to protect the woman. I mean, God was, he, by the way, Jesus said, Moses permitted this. We're, chapter 19, we're gonna hit this again, but if you allow me at least just to reference it, Jesus said, because they tried to trip him up in his words because it was such a controversial issue in their day and time like it is in our day and time. And they tried to trip him up and, and Jesus said, Moses permitted it because of the hardness of your heart, which right there, that tells you, every marriage problem is a heart problem. And if it is a heart problem, then it can be resolved if the people in the marriage who have a heart would get their heart in tune right here, then they could be in tune right here. There were two schools of thought in their day and time. Many are familiar with this. There's the school of Hillel, a Jewish rabbi, liberal, flaming liberal. And then there was Shammai, conservative, right-wing conservative. Polar opposites. Jesus anticipated that his disciples would get thrown into that controversy. And he says, it has been said, give her a writing of divorcement, which really would, both would agree on that. Hillel and Shammai. Hillel would say this, if she burns your toast, brother, you can divorce her. I mean, literally, what he was doing is he was looking at Deuteronomy chapter 24 and verse number one. And if there is any indecency or if there's any uh, the uncleanness, that's the word that is used there, uncleanness, if there's any uncleanness. So then it became a matter of interpretation. Okay, so define uncleanness. And it's something that you don't like. All right, well, I don't like my supper burned, so you're out. <laughs> I mean, literally, 
There are cases like that. I'm not making that up. I'm just, I'm just using that as an example. And maybe that's an extreme case. But they can also say this. You know, I don't like you as much as I do her because she's much more pretty than you are. And he could get rid of her to take her, literally. These are actual cases I'm running by you right now. That is a very loose, very liberal view of marriage and divorce. Okay? So there is that school of thought. Shammai on this side of it as a conservative was saying, no, the only cause for divorce is adultery. But he, he went this far to say it, if I understood right, and, and maybe I should do more research or somebody can help me or, or correct me here and I'd be very much open to that. But if I understood right from my study, that not only did Shammai say that adultery would be the cause or grounds of divorce, he also said this, you must divorce. Because now that marriage union has been violated, that perfect picture of one man, one woman, which by the way, what we're trying to establish here, what Jesus said is this, that marriage by God's design, obviously, hang on, maybe we need to back up this far. Can I just take just a brief second to say what Jesus said? Male and female, I said in the beginning it was not so because God made a male and female, two genders. And he said a man is supposed to be married to a woman. And that is the only thing that God recognizes in the Bible. He does not in anywhere recognize same-sex marriage. That is a phenomenon of our day and time, which also was in Greek, which is also in the Roman uh, Empire and all those things. But that is a violation of what God said. All right? I'm not going to give my spin on it. I'm giving you what the Bible says. And thus it is what, has, what is being said versus what is written. Okay? All right. So it is a marriage between a man and a woman, and it is, watch this, it is intended by God to be lifelong and exclusive. 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 Lifelong and exclusive. So Shammai says, okay, you have violated, she has violated that exclusivity. And so therefore that marriage is now broken. It is to end in a divorce. Give her a writing of divorcement. Jesus certainly did not take the liberal view. He did not even take Shammai's view, though certainly that would more characterize Jesus' position. But he went this far to say, listen, I'm going to go further than that. Jesus is stricter. Whereas Shammai says she needs to be divorced, Jesus says, reconcile. Reconcile. Even though it will not be easy, it will not be the convenient way, it will come with great heartache, it is still my plan, one man, one woman, one lifetime. And Jesus says we got to stick with what God set up. Because you need to do what you said you would do because of what God said. I'm going to run that by you one more time. You need to do what God said. I'm sorry. You need to do what you said you would do because of what God said. Did I say that right? Well, what did you say you would do? You said, I do take thee to be my lawfully, not awfully, my my lawfully wedded wife in sickness and in health and poverty and in wealth. You said you would. So you need to do what you said you'd do 
because of what God said. All right, now, you, you, now don't get hung up right there because if you're in a second marriage, then you say, I, I blew it, I blew it. Well, I understand that. So you're married now, then do what you said you'd do. Does that make sense to you? Poverty and in wealth, sickness and in health, um, and, and just do what you said you'd do in the vows. Wonderful job yesterday in the vows and, and exchanging of rings and, and you're in a covenant. God views marriage as a covenant, not a contract. A contract says, okay, as long as you do this, 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 and this, then we will do this. But a covenant is unconditional. It's God's plan. What would you rather know about man's plan? Man's plan is away with them. Walk away from it. Man's plan is be done with them. Walk away from them. God's plan is, with the help of the Holy Spirit, guided by the Word of God, be of a poor spirit, be meek, be a peacemaker. You hear what I'm doing? I'm not walking through them in order, but they're certainly there. Live out what the Christian life is supposed to be, and even in the most dire of circumstances, God can help you get through that. And I'm glad to tell you today, there's some examples right in here. Right in here. That God has done just that. Now, some are in a, in a spot where they wanted to do that and their spouse left and you can't control that. No more than you can control somebody else's driving. But you need to make sure you're driving right in your lane. Jesus said, it has been said, but I say, and there's, some, there's a lot of discussion about, well, what is fornication then? What is, what is being dealt with there? And I, I, I'm not going to get into all that because if you read four commentaries, you're going to get five positions. All right. It's a, it's a tough one. It's one of the more difficult matters I've ever dealt with. I've got a position on it and try to work within those boundaries on it. But, but, I, but I think at the end of the day, everyone that is committed to biblical truth would say one man, one woman, one lifetime marriage. Anything else is outside of God's will. Do what you said you would do because of what God said. Okay, so what about the oath thing? Well, the oath thing and the swearing and all that, that was the Jews' way of kind of getting around keeping their word. Because as long as you didn't swear that you do that by God, you're not obligated. If I say, I swear by Jerusalem, well, that's not the same thing as God. I can get out of that binding oath. Or I swear by my head. <laughs> Meaning, if I don't do this, may I die. But they could still get out of it. And many did. Or what are some of the other things there? I swear by heaven. That's ah, close to God. I swear by earth. He made it. Uh, Jesus says, here's what do. Just do what you said you'd do. And when you make a statement, you make sure that it's honest. You shouldn't have to add anything to your words. 
Everybody hear that? You shouldn't have to add any statement. Now, by the way, Jesus is not saying don't ever enter into a court of law and, and, and go under oath. He's not saying that because he himself standing before Pilate, he said something to the, to the effect or by, in front of the high priest, excuse me. He said, I adjure thee by God. And, and Jesus answered his question. So he entered into an oath. So he's not saying in a court of law, we don't, we don't, we're not to do that. But he is saying this, here's what you ought to do as my disciple. In a world that is given to lies and deception, you tell the truth and you shouldn't have to add any other words to it for people to believe you. In fact, if you have to add a bunch of words to it, uh, it's looking kind of suspicious. You got it? That's the reason I think these two are somewhat connected. Whereas you have the admonition about not lusting that could lead to adultery. Then you have also this connection here to you just do what you said you would do and, and, and you, your words bind you. And so you just come through on that because of what God said. And that's how you're my disciple in an age and time. It's so messed up. Wouldn't it be refreshing to the world to just come across some Christians who are really Christians? That when you hear them speak, you know they're not trying to pull a fast one on you. But you know they're people of honesty and integrity. And what you see in church is the same thing you see at the workplace. I'm telling you, that'll make a difference in society. What's being said doesn't match what is written. So what's your, what are you going to go with? I urge you today, go with what is written. We've got to get back to this, folks. Those of you that are living it out, I encourage you, keep living it out. You're going counterculture, but you're honoring God, and He'll continue to give you help. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, let me, let me just say to you, God who cannot lie has promised eternal life. Amen. He cannot lie. Titus 1, verse 2. He cannot lie. He's given us the promise of eternal life and he offers that to you and you can accept it and know that God will be true to save you. And that will begin a process of biblical change in your life like none other. Father, today um, I'm thankful for how much you care about what you instituted in marriage. And I'm thankful for the admonition you even gave to newlyweds to cheer up one another specifically a husband to cheer up a wife and to give his attention to her and to tenderly and gently love her and for the woman in the relationship to reverence her husband and to view their marriage as a lifelong covenant. God, I, I pray for any touched by divorce here today that you'd help them through that you'd continue to be their rock in the midst of some chaos at times. And I thank you that you are the God who redeems and love and you love unconditionally. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be people that would live by the book, by what you've given in a, in a time when so many take a low view of their word I pray you'd help us to take a high view like Jesus taught us by adhering to your word and keeping our own. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.